You never have complete clarity on something like this. You know, I think Saturday night, you know, after thinking about it for a significant period of time, course of weeks, and felt like it was time. Things got testy. How close is he to beating you? In golf? Yeah. Uh, you know, I think uh, we came, it, it was pretty good. I beat him by a pretty good margin the first time. I think we're on our fifth match. So the first four, three of the times I beat him pretty good. And then one time I, 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 he was up one and going into the last hole. And I think I birdied and he bogeyed. So uh, I don't know. It, it's been a lot of fun. You no more golf this offseason when that's done? Yeah, yeah. I, I need to, yeah, I got the belt. I need to just shut it down right now. Bishy, Bishy. You, know, you come from a small town, I visited Binghamton and Endicott area. It's known for Speedy Fest, Orchard Parks. Uh, does that small town help you sit, sort of stay focused on your love for the game, but also keep that humble side of you? It's funny that you brought up Speedies, because I made Speedies the other day, Chicken Speedies. But uh, we were known for our Chicken Speedies. Lupo's? Yes, Lupo's Chicken Speedies. But um, I, uh, what was the question again? I'm sorry, I just got this. <laughs> <laughs> just crushed my dreams. Boom. Sadness, that's the one. Okay, what's chicken speedies? It's marinated chicken that you then kind of cook on skewers and then you put in a sandwich. Interesting, sounds good. Or, I'll try I mean, marinated chicken is good. <laughs> yeah, it's actually speedies. We're not talking about spadini. I, I don't even know what that word yeah, means. Yeah, what, what, what are spadinis? Well, Spadini's chicken on skewers. That's why I was curious as to how we got to chicken speedies. But now I'm I'm gonna Google chicken speedies and <laughs> what the hell are we talking about? I, I'm seeing speedy chicken marinade, speedy chicken stir fry. Now I'm looking at something else that talks about marinated chicken speedies with garlic sauce. What are we doing here? I'm gonna ask you a very good radio question. How do you spell the word you just said that Jared and I had never heard before? Spadini? Yeah. S uh yeah. S P I E D I N I. Okay. And no, I've never heard that. You tell me that's a word for a chicken like kebab? It is an Italian dish. Yeah, chicken I was going to say it's got to be Italian. Okay. All right. Never heard that before. There you go. Learn something new every day here on the press box. All right. I got a Raiders question for you because Hunter Renfro said this uh last week talking about slot receivers with the New England Patriots. His new coach is from there, uh, from the RJ. First, they're all really good players from West to Julian to Jacoby. I think McDaniels is just very good at teaching the details of it, and those guys did a good job. It's a lot of work he puts uh, on a lot of them, but I think you're rewarded if you buy into what he has to say. So here's a, a first a preliminary question for you, Adam. If we look at receiving stat categories this year, does Devontae Adams lead this team in receptions, yards, and touchdowns this year? No, not all three. Uh, I think it's almost a guarantee he leads them in yards based on his usage, but it wouldn't surprise me at all if someone else had more touchdowns if they end up using Darren Waller more in the red zone considering how New England has always been uh, reliant on its tight ends. Okay, so with that kind of in mind, you have Adams and Waller and Renfro on this team. They're going into this season with like, hey, we've got our big three pass catchers. Will one of those three have a bad season? Like, is there, I, to me, I look at it as I don't think all three of them can have a great season. It doesn't mean they necessarily play bad. It's just I don't know that there's going to be enough opportunity, that there's going to be enough uh, in this offense to sustain 
three really productive receivers. And I feel like one of those guys, we're going to look back at it just numbers wise and be like, wow, that wasn't a very great season for Darren Waller or Hunter Renfro. Yeah, but I think that's not fair to them. That's not fair to looking at the situation saying, yes, I understand there are only so many targets to go around, but is it a statistically great season or are the Raiders a great team? And maybe what we end up seeing is that the old boogeyman of uh, Henry Ruggs taking the top off the defense when he's not actually catching the ball is the sort of thing that becomes true when it comes to some of these receivers, right? Like you can't pay attention to everyone. So in a particular game, are you doubling Devontae Adams and that means Hunter Renfro is open? Are you doubling Darren Waller? And that means that you know the ball is going to Devontae Adams more. I think that offenses and defenses will adjust throughout the year to what's being given and what's being taken. And for the Raiders, I don't really know that it matters if guys have statistically great seasons if you look up in the end and the one guy who did have a statistically great season is Derek Carr. And if Derek Carr's numbers look great, I don't think it matters who the receivers are that are doing well statistically. From a team standpoint, from a 2022 uh, you know, success or failure type season standpoint, you're right. I mean, it doesn't matter what Darren Waller or Renfro or, or Adams put up numerically, but... As of right now, Waller and Renfro don't have new contracts. Waller's got unguaranteed money for this year and the following season. Renfro's a free agent after this season if they don't sign him. Let's take Darren Waller, for example. If he has 720 yards this year receiving, and we look around and say, oh, but, you know, he he was a good player. It's just, oh, Adams and Renfro led the team in receiving yards. That's going to hurt Darren Waller ultimately because he's not getting as big of a contract if he's a 700-yard receiving tight end, whereas he put up back-to-back 1,100-yard seasons. That's when he could have maximized it. But now if he's 700 yards, even if it's still, oh, you did everything we asked, this team was successful, great season, Waller's probably not getting the same money, the same contract he would if Devontae Adams wasn't here. Tyler, there's no way that John Harbaugh in the Ravens' front office is going to be fooled by Darren Waller having 720 yards and saying he didn't have a great season. They know who that player is. Teams around the league know what Darren Waller's skill set is. They're going to watch the film the same way that the Raiders coaches watch the film, and they're going to look and say, okay, even though Darren Waller might not have had the same volume of catches, the number of touchdowns, et cetera, we still know what he can do. I don't think it's going to devalue Darren Waller at all because I think the league is smarter than that now. The league is smart enough to look at that guy and realize – what he can bring to an offense. The only thing to me that's going to potentially hold Darren Waller back is health. We saw last year that he wasn't able to go for the bulk of the year. And that obviously is something that's going to weigh, I think a lot more into a free agent decision with a guy who's going to be pushing the wrong side of 30 during the contract than how many catches he had. Yeah. He'll be 30 this season coming off an injury year. I personally, if I was the Raiders, I'm, I'm not giving Waller another contract. Like unless he's just awesome this year, but like, I, as of right now, I would try to make him play out what he has left for as long as he's willing to do so. But I, I don't think I would give Waller another contract because I'd, I'd be surprised if Darren Waller has another season where he's as good, as productive as he was in, what, 19 and 20 with his two seasons where he went over 1,000 yards. The, the one thing I'd keep in mind with Darren Waller, and I'm, you know, I'm kind of talking a little bit out both sides of my mouth here, but I'm trying to give you the perspective of what I think a team would say and then also probably what his agent would say. And 
he is a younger 30 in some ways because he doesn't have as much wear and tear on his body as a tight end normally would because of the time that he missed with his substance abuse issues and so on. So I think that you might be able to make a case that, okay, maybe he'll age better than the average 30 year old, but I'm with you in that. I think with the length of contract and the money that he probably can get on the open market, A, I don't know if the Raiders should do it, but B, more importantly, considering B. they're starting next year with the most uh, second most dead cap of any team in the league, then I don't know that they're going to have the choice to do it. So just looking at Waller's stats, like for his career by year, before 2019, when he had his breakout year, he had 18 total catches in his NFL career. And then in 2019, he had 90 receptions. That's an, that's an insane jump to go from 18 over your career, which was three seasons in the NFL, up to 90. Like, it's it's an incredible jump. And you're right in the sense that the wear and tear isn't there, and that's a big part of why guys, especially in football, run down quickly. So maybe we should view him more as a 28-year-old than a 30-year-old for this season or something like that. But it still ultimately is a, a tight end that's older than most and is going to be coming off an injury. So I'm I'm curious to see how they handle Renfro and Waller. Because there's been the yeah. there's been the the wide assumption, Derek Carr even tweeted it out, that Renfro's gonna get his extension this offseason. And if that happens, I can't imagine they give one to Waller this offseason. You go in the next year and you see what happens. Obviously, They've got the contracts with Adams and Carr structured that they can technically get out of them after year one if things went horribly. So I'm curious to see how Waller, excuse me, how Renfro's is actually structured if he gets it, and then what that ultimately means for Darren Waller, who again, still two years this year and next year, none of it's guaranteed. Great for the Raiders, absolutely horrible for Darren Waller. Yeah, right now, if you have to give a contract to one of those two players, to Hunter Renfro or to Darren Waller, I think everything, literally everything about it points toward Hunter Renfro. He's younger, and I think what he does is harder to replace, right? Like, you have found that shifty slot guy who can get open in just about any situation. Like, Hunter Renfro just is open, period. And I think that's a lot harder to deal with because of the fact that he runs from the slot, right? So a slot receiver who is going to be covered more often by guys who are slot corners, which generally means they're not going to be of the quality of the outside corners, or it's going to be linebackers, or you're going to force more attention to him than if you're unable to cover with those guys. He was the 14th rated receiver by pro football focus last year, right between DK Metcalf and Tyler Lockett. Like, if you have to pay one of those two guys, you pay Hunter Renfro. All right. Here's a question from yesterday's show that I'm curious. You walk up to Derek Carr, and he's going to tell you the truth. And you ask him, hey, Derek, the Raiders have some money to spend. Would you prefer Hunter Renfro gets paid and he gets his extension, or we spend some money on an offensive lineman to come in and start at right tackle or whatever position you want to put him at? You are 100% paying Hunter Renfro. Wow. Again, okay. I, 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 you are going to pay Hunter Renfro because Derek Carr is going to believe that he, as a quarterback who has dealt with a patchwork offensive line before, can figure out a way to get the ball out when he needs to get the ball out. Uh, he's going to find Hunter Renfro. Look, he didn't have much last year protecting him, and he still managed to have Hunter Renfro have a 1,000-yard season. So 
I think when you ask Derek Carr, honestly, he probably believes that they can find someone better than the trash can full of sand that they had at right tackle to start the year last year and still have Hunter Renfro on the roster. And if I ask Adam Candy that truthfully, you would spend it where? I'd ask Hunter Renfro. I would. I, I... I believe in the Hunter Renfro breakout. I believe in the fact that he is able to get open in a way that is uncommon. And I think what you can do in terms of putting in an average right tackle to fill in that spot is a lot easier than it's going to be to find a receiver who could does what Hunter Renfro can do. Uh, will we get a possession on the goal line this year where Devontae Adams and Hunter Renfro run into each other while they're trying to like freestyle and get open at the line of scrimmage? No, just going to put them on different sides. Okay, I just want them to mess up once and they like run into each other because they're both doing something that they didn't actually choreograph. They're just trying to beat their guy. No, I think you're much more likely for that to happen with Demarcus Robinson with, with somebody ah, who, yes. you know, right? Like Demarcus Robinson is going to be the one who's like, ah, I, I thought I was running an out. Like, no, I'm running an out. You go run to the back of the end zone, stand there. Foster Moreau is just going to accidentally truck Devontae Adams at one point in the red zone. It's going to be like, ah, that didn't go very well. Poor Foster Moreau. All right, coming up next, we get into Bischoff's briefs. Bischoff's briefs. I'm afraid we need to use math. Bischoff's briefs. I knew I should have checked your showboating globetrotter algebra. Bischoff's briefs. Man, I thought you knew that algebra was all razzmatazz. Bischoff's briefs. Yes, I see. Something involving that many big words could easily destabilize time itself. Coming up in about 20 minutes, tickets to go see Slipknot. So, if you're interested in Slipknot, stay tuned. We got a pair of tickets for you. Today's Bischoff's briefs is taking a look at quarterback play in the NFL thanks to a fun graph from Arjun Minen of Pro Football Focus where he tweeted out a graph showing EPA, expected points added, uh, for quarterbacks based on plays that were perfectly covered by the defense, by the secondary, versus plays that were not perfectly covered by the defense and the secondary. Now, you can get a, some information here if you take co- the best quarterbacks on non-perfectly covered plays. So when there is some sort of coverage breakdown, Matt Stafford was the best last season. Or this is 2019 to 2021 for over the last three years. Justin Herbert was second. Aaron Rodgers third. And Patrick Mahomes was fourth. They were kind of the four tiered off above everybody else above a big group so those four were the best when there was some sort of lapse in coverage on the other side perfectly covered plays so quarterbacks that are making things happen making productive plays for the offense even when the defense is perfect Patrick Mahomes is number one Aaron Rodgers was number two Deshaun Watson number three and Tua came in as the fourth best quarterback by EPA over the last three seasons when the defense perfectly covers a play. So the top of those lists, not overly surprising with maybe the exception of Tua there, but there were some quarterbacks on here that I found to be fascinating. What is Trevor Lawrence? Because Trevor Lawrence, who we only have one year of data on, but last season, 
uh, Trevor Lawrence was actually good on perfectly covered plays. So when the defense was good, Trevor Lawrence was the fifth best quarterback by EPA last year. That's kind of remarkable given how bad the Jags were and that Trevor Lawrence didn't have a good season. But what's fascinating is that Trevor Lawrence was dead last in EPA on non-perfectly covered plays. So when there was a defensive breakdown, Trevor Lawrence was the worst in the NFL. And in fact, going by EPA, he was the only quarterback over the last three seasons to actually be negative, negative expected points added when the defense has some sort of breakdown in coverage. I, I don't, do you have an answer for that other than Urban Meyer? Like how the hell can Trevor Lawrence be like, Better than most when the defense is good, but the worst and by far the worst when there's an actual breakdown. No, I think everything about Trevor Lawrence's season last year has to be viewed as an outlier okay. or else you would already be looking to move on from Trevor Lawrence. He would be in a Josh Rosen situation right now if you don't say Urban Meyer is the problem with this. To me, I look at this graph by Arjun and I say there are a couple questions I have. First of all, uh, Perfectly covered versus non-perfectly covered. I also want to know, how did they control for offensive line play? Because there's a big difference between it's perfectly covered and I have three seconds to stand there and try to figure out what to do with it versus, oh my God, it's a jailbreak. Let me just run around and fling the ball up. Now, Mahomes and Rodgers, we already know, are guys who know how to manipulate plays to extend them. Uh, but beyond that, Everybody else seems to fall into a pretty good range. Again, with the exception of Trevor Lawrence, like his dot on this graph, you almost have to adjust the graph to fit the dot in. Okay. So I saw somebody quote tweet this about it's hilarious how big of an outlier Trevor Lawrence is. I, I had to look for like 30 seconds to find him. Like I, I on it, he's at the very bottom of this. Like I, I did not know where he was because he's so far away from the cluster of quarterbacks on this play. It's, Remarkable how ridiculous he is. Now, on the Raiders side of this, looking at Derek Carr, he is um, slightly above average when it comes to perfectly covered plays. He's similar in that regard to Jimmy Garoppolo and Justin Herbert. When the defense is great, those guys are basically dead average NFL quarterbacks. Carr is above average by a decent margin on non-perfectly covered plays. So when there's a breakdown, Carr's pretty good. He's in line with Matt Ryan, Lamar Jackson, and Dak Prescott. In that regard, ultimately, Derek Carr, sort of what we know, what we think about Derek Carr, fits in pretty well here. He's an above-average quarterback. He's not an outlier by any means, and that's sort of where he fits in on this graph, is that he is pretty good in most situations and better than most quarterbacks. But there is one quarterback that I wanted to ask you specifically about, Adam. Daniel Jones, fifth worst on non-perfectly covered plays, so... Even if you leave guys open, Daniel Jones won't hurt you. And fourth worst on perfectly covered plays. So he's not exactly making things happen when the defense plays well. Um, last time I talked to you about the Giants, you were a little optimistic about what they've done this offseason. How do you feel about Daniel Jones? Is there anything that uh, can save Daniel Jones from being in this bottom four and five of NFL quarterback play? Not having an offensive line of five trash cans full of sand will help <laughs> Daniel Jones not be on the bad part of this graph. Now, he's not going to go up to where Patrick Mahomes and Aaron Rodgers are. But the other thing is that EPA per play number is going to be negatively affected by fumbles. And man, if there's one good thing 
that Daniel Jones has mastered in the NFL. It's how to fumble the football uh, in his time since he's been in the league. So I think that Daniel Jones can be better. I think he only has to be average uh, in order to you know make this fit. I think for Raiders fans, by the way, uh, Derek Carr being right next to Kirk Cousins and Jimmy oh. Garoppolo should be among oh. the things that make you go, hmm. Like, oh, maybe man. he is more Kirkian than you want to believe. Where, who was it that tweeted out the Kirk Cousins model that was like, it basically compared quarterbacks to who was most similar to Kirk Cousins? And it was Derek Carr, Jimmy Garoppolo. Like, they were all just one version of Kirk Cousins. It's great. Like, those are all, it's all kind of the same guy. I was surprised. Stafford was as high as he was because it's a three-year sample. It's not just last season. A three-year sample on non-perfectly covered plays that he was actually the best on that. That Not that he's bad, but I would have viewed Matt Stafford a lot closer to Derek Carr than I would have, oh, yeah, he's better than Rodgers and Mahomes at that. Well, the other piece of this equation is when you look at this chart, the, you know, the dots are different sizes, and it says that you know how big the dot is means how many times did they have to pass versus a perfectly covered play. And the, the Mahomes and Rogers dots, I mean, those are enormous dots. The two one is pretty damn small. Uh, so the sample size is a lot smaller. The Trevor Lawrence dot that you mentioned may, might be the smallest dot on the entire map. So we just don't have enough data on those to really feel all that confident, right? The Derek Carr one's pretty big. Uh, the Derek Carr one is about as large as the Mahomes and Rogers one. So we, we kind of know who he is and what he is. Uh, I always, I wonder when you talk about guys like Stafford, I wonder how much of this graph is really how big are the cojones on that quarterback, right? Because so much of it is like, it's perfectly covered. I'm going to throw it anyway, right? I believe I have the arm strength to fit this thing, you know, inside a tire from 30 yards away. It seems like the quarterbacks at the top of this list tend to be those guys. Yeah, I mean, that fits Mahomes. That fits Stafford. Uh, yeah, I, I think you are You might be right there that this is a cojones graph more than anything else. Well, J Justin Herbert's up at the top of that, too. Is, and Justin yes. Herbert might have the best arm in the NFL outside of Josh <laughs> Allen. I'm glad we have rebranded this chart from like, how well the defense covered you in EPA to just, it's a cojones chart. How willing are you to just chuck the ball down the field? We need this for, like, the Brett Favre era. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I mean, look, you could just what we could do is the title of the graph right now is how quarterbacks perform versus perfectly covered plays and non perfectly covered plays. We could just change it to how quarterbacks perform. <laughs> then it's a cojones chart. <laughs> All right. Coming up next, Ryan Wallace joins the show. This isn't the Alex Ovechkin Power Hour. This is the VGK Update with Ryan Wallace. Follow him on Twitter at RyanHockeyGuy. I'm out. All right, Ryan. Are the Golden Knights going to hire Bruce Cassidy now that he's been fired by the Bruins? I would certainly call him. I would make sure to get an interview in for Bruce Cassidy because I, I don't expect he's going to be out of a job for very long, and this kind of puts a wrench in the I don't want to say like rushing the decision making for Barry Trotz, but there's a, a new big fish in the pond, and there might be some teams that were in on Barry Trotz that all of a sudden are thinking about Bruce Cassidy. So it, it'll be interesting to see what happens with coaching over the next couple of days. It feels to me, Ryan, that looking at Bruce Cassidy's track record, looking at Barry Trotz's track record, it's not like one guy is great and one guy is terrible, but it. Bruce Cassidy feels to me like 
a guy who at least will have a little bit more relation to a team that has been as offensively driven as the Golden Knights as Barry Trotz would. Yeah, I mean, I, I think that there's a lot of pros and cons on both sides, right? Like Barry Trotz, you know what you're going to get in terms of his defensive structure and his ability to get teams to buy into that. With Bruce Cassidy, I think that there is certainly an offensive component when you look at some of the players that he's coached over the years with the Boston Bruins. He's had no shortage of elite offensive talent, so I think that there's an ability to relate with those players on that level. Um, I don't know that, that one guy makes more sense over the other. I think both are really good coaches. Both can win with this Golden Knights roster. It kind of depends on what they want to do and what direction the Golden Knights are trying to go in. And to be be honest with you, I don't think anybody really has an idea of what direction the Golden Knights are going in because it's been incredibly quiet since they relieved Pete DeBoer of his duties. How surprised were you that the Bruins actually fired Bruce Cassidy? Uh... Not terribly surprised. Like, it's the wrong move, 100%. Like, it's, it's an absolutely ridiculous decision to, to be made. Like, when you look at the Bruins, the fact that, like, five of their regulars are going to be out for the next five to six months because they had to have surgery as soon as the, the, the season ended, and they went to seven games, and they were banged up at various times all year, and yet Bruce Cassidy still got them into the playoffs, 107 points. His win percentage or the points percentage with the Bruins is, is 672. Like, he's a really good coach. What went wrong with the Bruins this year is not Bruce Cassidy's fault. It was just the simple fact that they went up against the division leaders and they pushed them to seven games and they lost by a goal. That's really it, uh, despite a bunch of turnover in terms of leadership, all that. So um, I think it's the wrong decision. I think that there are roster construction questions that you should be asking before you talk about the coach but when you kind of heard some of the commentary coming out of the Bruins at their locker cleanout day their end of season media availability it was very clear that Cam Neely and Don Sweeney were not pleased with some of the things Bruce Cassidy did so it's not a complete shock but I think it's the absolute wrong decision for the Bruins. You talk about the Golden Knights and the radio silence we've had from them since the firing of Pete DeBoer what signs will you be looking for in the moves that they make to read into what style of hockey we think this team is going to play next year because it's not like they have total freedom to redo this whole thing based on the cap constraints but what would you expect to see with the Golden Knights based on the fact that they let Pete DeBoer go and now we're in this sort of limbo that we're in Yeah, I mean, you either double down on defense or you try to open it up a little bit and play uh, a little faster than what we've become accustomed to for the Golden Knights. So when you look at their structure, the majority of what they tried to do in terms of creating offensive chances happened on the rush via what they did in the neutral zone. They would be a little bit more passive than I think what you've come to expect from the Golden Knights over the first couple of seasons, looking to use their defensive skill in the neutral zone to break passes down or get in the way of lanes and then turn that into three-on-twos, two-on-ones. That's where they had their most success, putting the puck in the back of the net. With Pete DeBoer, though, when they possessed the puck in the offensive zone, trying to find those types of goals, they were hard to come by. I think what you're looking for is not so much what you're going to see in player transactions, because I firmly firmly believe that the Golden Knights are going to have a coach in place before they make decisions on player personnel. Um, I think it's all about the coach, right? Like, if it's Barry Trotz, you're doubling down on defense. If it's Bruce Cassidy or Rick Tockett, I think that you're trying to 
change the way that you play in the offensive zone. You're trying to find or fit a type of play where you can get to the front of the net, you can go there hard, you can get rebound and tap in goals. Those are the types of things I think that you have to look into, but I don't think it's a player personnel thing. I think more than anything, it, it comes down to who they choose as their next coach. And you think the right choice would be doubling down on defense or changing the way they play offensively? So, like, I I, I think that it's interest, It's an interesting question because for the Golden Knights, when you look at who they've got between the pipes and Robin Leonard, like Robin Leonard's best statistical season came with Barry Trotz behind the bench, right? Like he was phenomenal on Long Island under Barry Trotz. However, I think when you have Jack Eichel, when you've got Max Pacioretty, when you've got Mark Stone, hopefully a healthy Mark Stone, you look at some of the things the Golden Knights bring to the table offensively. Like I think this is a team that should be able to put the puck in the back of the net. I think they need a player that's willing to go to the front of the net and is a pain in the ass once he gets there. Think Corey Perry. Um, that's what the Golden Knights really need, depending on where where they lean with coaching. I always want to see more goals. I think that there's an element of opening things up defensively a little bit that will happen. Robin Leonard, healthy, should be better. But to me, the Golden Knights, when you hear Bill Foley talk about losing identity, hear him talk about getting away from what they were early on they were an exciting team that traded chances and trusted their goaltending that's what i'd like to see out of them come next year big questions that came out of the colorado avalanche sweeping the edmonton oilers and not about the future of the edmonton oilers but about nathan mckinnon and gabriel landeskog deciding are we going to touch the clarence campbell trophy uh, <laughs> mm-hmm. did they make the right decision yeah, I, I doesn't I, it doesn't matter. I mean, like time will tell, right? Like, if they lose the series, we'll just ignore the actual hockey that happened that caused them yes. to lose the series and blame it on them touching a trophy, which is one of the <laughs> most ridiculous things that we do in hockey. So, um, I don't care. It doesn't matter to me whatsoever. Like, you won something, right? You, you are the champions of the Western Conference, and it, it, as weak as that Western Conference may have been, at least you accomplished something. So, why don't you enjoy it? Do we know why that's a thing in hockey? I can't. I don't think any of other sports care. All of other sports, when you win the conference and you're going to the finals, you go grab the trophy and you celebrate. Why? Why is that a thing in hockey? I, I honestly like. I think it probably stems from at some point in time, one team didn't touch it, one team did, and then the team that didn't touch it went on to win the Stanley Cup, which is like really challenging when you have two teams that will not touch it or refuse to touch it. <laughs> Um, I, I don't know like the, the tried-and-true his, history of it because, I, again, I don't care whether or not you touch a trophy. Um, I, I, I will pick Darren Millard's brain a little bit to see if he's got like the, the moment in history where we all decided to lose our minds because of a, a ridiculous superstition. I, I just kind of went through a risk-reward when I was close to the cup. I, I, like, I thought to myself, okay, Every time the Devils are on a playoff run, it is absolute torture to my insides watching every game, right? (laughs) And I want every advantage I can get in making that a more positive experience. And so I took plenty of pictures of the cup, with the cup, etc., but I didn't touch it. And I knew it was stupid empirically that I wasn't touching it, and yet at the same time I thought, yeah, but I don't think it's worth it. Oh, man. So have you never touched it? I did not touch the Stanley Cup. No. 
I, I just thought to myself that my power as one Devils fan was no, probably no, so no. exponential that I that I was not allowed to touch it. No, see, here's the thing. Um, the Devils have won a Stanley Cup. So, like, once an organization wins a Stanley Cup, you're good. Are, oh, I'm absolved. Won. Oh. <laughs> oh, this is fantastic news. Oh, God, the, yeah. the next time the Stanley Cup comes around, I'm going to climb inside that thing. I'm going to my, – my bony ass is going to be in the cup – of the Stanley Cup in the bowl, just rubbing it around and making up for lost time. Like Chapman, who are you, Adam? Stanley Cup. Oh, That's all I'm saying. Don't touch it, Adam. Yeah. Adam, don't touch it. Oh God, that okay. Now, now we've yeah. really we've just put a whole Debbie Downer thing on this for me that I guess was necessary. Yeah, that's brutal. All right, Ryan, we appreciate it. Thanks for coming on. Yeah, always, guys. <laughs> He's Ryan Wallace. You can hear him over on Fox Sports Las Vegas on the VGK Insider Show. And now we didn't find out if he was a Slipknot fan. Oh, I forgot to ask him about Slipknot. But we've got tickets if you are a Slipknot fan. The Knot Fest Road Show with Slipknot and special guest Cypress Hill coming to MGM Grand Garden on June 17th. You can buy tickets at access.com. Or you can win a pair from us right now. 702-364-1100 is the phone number. If you want a pair of tickets to go see Slipknot on June 17th, 702-364-1100. Slipknot, Cypress Hill, June 17th. Caller number 9 at 702-364-1100. Swung on there, goes. Deep left field. That's going to win the game. Harold Castro back, and he made the catch on the warning track, tagging his judge. He scores. Ball game over. Yankees win. You're locked in the press box. Congratulations to Gerald. He won a pair of tickets to go see Slipknot. Now, to wrap up the show, I have a um, Reddit post to read for you guys. Now, this is from Reddit, so may or may not actually be a true story here. But here's the story. Me and my fiance just got married two months ago. We had our dream wedding. Everything was perfect. And I mean everything. My parents and his parents helped us pay for a great chunk of the wedding so we would be debt-free, and we were so eternally grateful for that. The issue arose about a month and a half ago when my aunt started posting on Facebook about how, how disappointed she was with the whole ordeal, and a few guests sided with her. Background. My fiance and I are huge Disney fans. We travel to Disney oh, World as much as we can throughout the year. Disney is such an important part, not only to us, but also our marriage. The issue was with our decision to not offer catering services or bar services at our wedding due to routing the money towards having a wedding Minnie and Mickey Mouse make appearances at our special day. The cost to have both Minnie and Mickey for 30 minutes was almost exactly what our parents allotted for our catering budget. So we scheduled an appearance during our first dance and our wedding photos foregoing served food. My parents were still very supportive of us, but everyone else is being passive aggressive about it on Facebook. What a bleephole. <laughs> I got to do this. <laughs> Passive aggressive. I would not be passive <laughs> yeah, aggressive. I, mean, I would be aggressive aggressive. aggressive. <laughs> you would hear all of my rage if I traveled across the country to go to your wedding and you told me 
hey, sorry, it's going to be a cash bar because we needed a sweaty college intern in a costume to be in our photos. <laughs> Adam would have walked up during the first dance and gone, where the bleep is the bleeping food? I would have made sure that I was in the background of every one of those wedding photos, flipping them off, like so that their pictures could never be fixed. I want to make sure that you ruin the moment, that I ruin your moment the same way you have ruined it. Look, Tyler, let me make one thing clear to you about throwing a wedding. There is an understanding. These people are going to pay for hotel rooms, flights, whatever it is, to come to your wedding. That is very generous of them. All they ask in return, and they should be able to ask this, is that you allow them to get fat and drunk <laughs> yes! on your dime. Yes! That's it. That's all that comes with this. This is a transaction. It is something that you need to do because these people have responded to your obligation. If they don't respond to your obligation, then they probably should send you a reasonably sized gift to make up for the fact that they chose not to come to your wedding and spend the money on a plane ticket or a hotel room. But what if I offer him a chance to see Mickey and Minnie Mouse instead? Shove it up your... <laughs> so, okay, there, there are two additions to this. Uh, to those asking if the guests were warned, we clearly outlined in the invitation that there was food available at the venue. We didn't exactly spell out every restaurant's menu, but it was mentioned. There were vending machines also available. Oh, my God. So you could have gotten, you know, a bag of, like, Lay's barbecue chips for dinner at the wedding. Also, uh, apparently, it cost them $5,500 for Mickey and Minnie Mouse. These are the dumbest people I've ever met in my entire life. <laughs> if you want to do this, I am not here to begrudge you your moment. It's your moment. But don't invite people. Yeah. Just go, just go to Disneyland Pay for the sweaty costumes to appear in your picture and let that be that. Like, if that's where you want to spend your money, spend your money. Why are you making other people be part of this? That is just selfish. That's entirely selfish. And if you're going to make them pay for their own food, are you going to make them pay for their own food at friggin' Disneyland? That vending machine probably charged them $15 for a bag of Lay's potato chips. <laughs> This is one of the funniest things I've ever read about a wedding. That's incredible. How would I do that? What do I invite, like, Jose Altuve to show up or something? Oh, my God. I, can't, I cannot imagine going to a wedding, looking around, wondering where the food is while Mickey and Minnie are dancing with the couple during their For a half dance. hour. They're not there the whole time. <laughs> They're not marrying them. They're showing up for the pictures. For What are they doing during that half hour? You know what you should have done? You should have paid for them to pass the hors d'oeuvres. You should have paid for Mickey and Minnie to have a tray in their hands, walking around with pigs in a blanket, and then it's multi-purpose. Then they showed up and they actually did something for you. What What is one thing that is a requirement for your wedding, Tyler? What What is there going to have to be? I don't have one. Me and my fiance. I don't have, like, picky wedding things there's not one thing that you've thought to yourself all right no matter what else we do though we've got to do this we have to have this and i'm not talking about appearances from cartoon characters <laughs> i'm talking about like a specific song a type of food it's, it's gonna be a tv that gets the whatever game he needs to watch no no we're getting married on the uh monday after the mlb all-star game where there's no sports we're good uh, no tv needed um 
No, I, I don't have anything. I mean, my my fiance, I, she's got like three different songs she she's got to pick out here. But I don't. I, I honestly don't. Can't think of one thing that I'm like, oh, have to have that. Ooh, you get to wear shorts. Oh, that would be nice. Yes, I might. I, that might be it. Dress shorts. I, I have to Dress wear shorts. shorts. You yeah. know, you'll you'll They'll wear... be nice shorts. They'll be nice shorts. But shorts shorts required. Are you going to have any input into like what your groomsmen wear, or is that going to be decided for you? Uh, well, I haven't put any thought into it yet. Oh, dear so. God. You better start putting <laughs> yeah, thought into it. To. Any decisions that you do not put input into now will be made for you. You literally... Wait, wait, wait. wait. I, know, I don't know an answer to this, but I know part of an answer to this. We have to match. Uh, and my girlfriend likes the color gold. Okay. Uh, so, so gold. Something gold is going to be involved. Tyler, here. answer me this question. Tie, no tie... If it is a tie, is it a skinny tie? Is it a regular tie? Is it a bow tie? Are you going to have people wearing ascots out there? Do you have any of that uh, planned? Planned? Absolutely not. Um, off the top of my head, no tie. Ties are stupid. I don't know how those things are exist. What's the point of a tie? I need to Why post some pictures. I have, I actually went to a wedding at Disney. Um, oh, Disney World in Florida. And... My friend, one of my high school friends, made me dress up in an outfit that looked like something oh. from Benson. Like I, like I, I could Whoa, have we been. We got a Benson reference. I could have been Robert Guillaume serving food to people in that outfit. It's unbelievable what he did to us. And there were nine groomsmen. Do you know why there were nine groomsmen? Not because the bride had nine bridesmaids, because my buddy couldn't say no to anybody, and then forced oh. his bride to find nine women who would be part of her party. He was the one who couldn't narrow it down. That's rough. Nine people? I'm gonna have nine two. Nine I do people. know that. I'm gonna, I'm gonna have two. Not nine. That's a nightmare. N nine's an absurd. Sorry, Jared. We're out. I don't even like nine people. <laughs> 